Wagwan, much love to you all. Welcome to our podcast, The Higher Level. Today, we are going to be discussing geopolitics, specifically the US election and some coronavirus news. I'm here with my Latino brethren from California, Senor Sanchez. My Jamaican brother from South London. How are you, sir? Good evening, Dr. Wagwan. Good, man. How are you doing? Ah, so far, so good. I haven't, uh, you know, succumbed to the virus yet, although the virus is trying. It's spreading around like madness, man. Yo, man, you heard you're going to have a Jamaican VP? Sir, that is a real possibility now. Yeah, uh, with Kamala Harris. She a smart girl, that Kamal, ain't it? Yeah, she is. She's a really smart cookie. Yeah, so there's a real possibility that she might be the vice president and possibly the president if uh, Joe Biden, you know, shits mm. his pants in, in office. Mm. It's a good move that they selected her out of all the candidates. Although, out of all the other candidates, he had a pretty damn good selection pool. Yeah, he, he definitely wasn't spoiled for a lack of choice. He had a lot to, to pick from. Mm. And uh, he's p- picked a, a, a woman, woman of color. So, mm. uh, and that, that think- pool, that selection pool, was quite diverse, man. I saw the pictures. There were you know, a fair few colored people and ethnic people in there. Things are changing. Things are changing in the United States. Uh, the question is, will he win? And if he does win, I think America will change quite drastically. Mm. You know, that's just the nature of life. For every uh, reaction, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So Trump, he went, you know, in a certain, he took the country in a certain direction, but there is an opposite reaction towards that. And he accelerated the rise of diversity uh, within the left. Mm. So let's get into some geopolitics. Beijing implies, how do you pronounce this man? Tajikistan? Tajikistan, yes. Tajikistan, Pamir region should be returned to China. These are about those poor minorities getting abused by the CCP, man. Yeah, Tajikistan is actually a, um, a sovereign nation on the border with China. So China is bordering India, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. It borders a lot of Central Asian republics. It borders India, for example, as well. And... Uh, China, interestingly enough, in its backyard, it wants to become the supreme boss. As mm-hmm. the Americans tried to do in their hemisphere of the world, the Americans wanted to become the big boss of the American continent. Mm-hmm. And China is trying to do the same. And the first thing it's going to do is to stretch out to the east and west and north. And that means Central Asian republics. Uh, so that could mean Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. Uzbekistan, the great nation of Kazakhstan, Mm -hmm. uh, Mongolia, and probably Russia is definitely on that list too, because a lot of people forget the Russians have a huge amount of land that China considers to be their own. And uh, the Soviet Union had even more. So Mm. this is a major scandal. It's broken out between China and on the other hand, uh, Tajikistan and the Russian Federation. So this is regarding alleged Chinese claims on the Pamir region. The mm-hmm. Pamir region belongs to Tajikistan. Uh, it's uncontested so far, but now it looks like China wants to contest that. This past month, official outlets of the People's Republic of China, the communist mouthpiece of the uh, Chinese mm. government, 
they repeatedly republished an article by Chinese historian Chou Yaolu. He posited that the entire Pamir region belonged to China at one time in the ancient history. And consequently, he implies that Tajikistan should now or in future return it to Beijing. So, of course, such a territorial concession would dramatically change the geopolitical balance of this corner of Eurasia. Mm. If Tajikistan gave up the Pamir region, it would be giving up more than half of its country. So China would effectively be swallowing Tajikistan. It would affect not only the position of Central Asian countries, for example, Tajikistan borders, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan even, but also of its neighbors, uh, bigger and more powerful neighbors like Russia. Even the United States would be very, very disturbed by this because the United States does not want to see China swallowing its neighbors because every mm -hmm. time China swallows a new neighbor, it builds up its own economy. And, and of he course, fucks them up. He fucks them up just like Hong Kong, man. That's probably going to be on the on the cards. Yeah, it's not going to be like you know fun and games. They're not going to join hands and work together. No, it's going to be a subservient relationship. Mm. And it, this is going to be a big issue. Uh, the Tajikistan people they have admixtures with the Chinese people, so they do share some genes, but they're also a little bit mixed with some of the. Uh, Middle Eastern and Mediterranean cultures. So they're a bit of a mix. And they look mm. at what happened to the Uyghurs and they're pretty scared. Mm. And the Tajiks and the Uzbeks and the Kazakhstan uh, people, they're, they're a little bit concerned. And I'll tell you who's really, really shitting their pants right now Vladimir Putin. He's probably looking at the situation saying, fuck, I can't believe these guys are actually going to try and invade countries in my backyard. What are they going to do next? You know, is it mm. Tajikistan today? Is it Russia tomorrow? Is it Siberia? For example, the Yakutsk region in uh, Russia. China has made noises in the past that that used to belong to China. Now, whether it did or it did not, the fact is it belongs to a certain country now. And those mm -hmm. countries don't want to give up land very easily. Mm -hmm. And if that leads to a confrontation, it's, it's, uh, it's not good for, for the region. Mm. What What is remarkable to me is that China seems to be opening a new front to its conflict every single week. So a couple of weeks ago, it was India. And then a week ago, it was Japan. They're making claims on Japan. And mm -hmm. now I can't believe it. They're doing it to Tajikistan, which is a, right, a, a next door neighbor of Russia. Mm. This is uh, really going to scare the pants off the Russians. Ideally, the Russians wanted to stay neutral. They wanted to sit back and let the Chinese and the Americans shoot each other to death but it seems like the chinese are forcing the russians to pick a side and saying no we can take you all at once you know i'm not mm. sure what the russians will do i i think vladimir is in a really tough position because he knows he can't deal with the chinese his economy is smaller than the size of italy's there's no way he can contest a, a fight with the chinese he just can't it's he's a pretty good guy at solidifying power within his own nation um, but there's almost zero chance that he'd last even an afternoon against the Chinese, um, as, as strong as he thinks he is. Russia is not the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, you know, the world trembled at its might. Russia, it's smaller than the Italian economy. It's, it's not the Soviet Union. So there's no way. They're going to need, I'm guessing if this continues, that Putin's going to have to give the Americans a call and say, hey, Let's let's be friends. Let's let's put up differences behind us. Either that, or the Chinese will eat a part of his country. 
Look, I, do you really think the CCP are going to really do anything? I mean, they're making verbal statements now. You really think they're going to send troops across that line and try and, you know, physically and forcefully take over? Well, it, it depends how things goes. The Pamir region is rich in oil and natural resources. Mm -hmm. China wants to become self-sufficient. It doesn't want to rely on oil from the Gulf, the Persian Gulf, because it knows that the U.S. can block that oil very quickly. Mm -hmm. So China wants its own oil and gas fields. And as you know, the Central Asian republics and Russia is very rich in minerals and oil and gas, whereas China mm -hmm. is quite mineral poor. It doesn't, have it doesn't have oil. It doesn't have a lot of commodities. So if it can take big chunks of Central Asia, the the stands, the Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, mm. you know, and big chunks of Russia, then it could become, it has a huge population, it has technology, and then it would have mineral resources. These are the three components that create a real superpower in the way that Japan could never have been. Mm. Japan had population, had technology, but it didn't have any mineral resources the way the United States does. China learned from that example, and it does not want to be in the situation that the U.S. could put it in. The U.S. saw that Japan was starting to challenge it, and it choked it out. By the time the U.S. actually started a war with Japan, and Japan actually started the war first, but the U.S. started economically strangling Japan long before the Japanese launched their attack on Pearl Harbor. By the time the Japanese launched their attack, their economy was already struggling because they had just blockaded Japan and you know, cut off their supply lines. China does not want to be in that position. So it wants its own mineral resources. And just like Japan, it might go on a rampage in Asia to try and acquire those mineral resources. Mm. I'm, I'm sure it would try if it could. Whether they do it, I'm not sure. Mm. It's crazy that we're going into these kind of, you know, desperate times when we're almost reverting back into history, you know, countries fighting over resources and stuff. It's Dangerous stuff, this man. So this Tajikistan, is it an independent country right now? Or is it, yeah. is it just allied with Russia? No, it's a, it's a sovereign nation, independently recognized by the UN, recognized mm -hmm. by China, actually, as well. Mm -hmm. Its territorial integrity is recognized, was recognized by China. It looks like it's now contested because the Chinese government is saying that the Tajikistan uh, Palmyra region was part of China since ancient times, but it is a, a, a separate country. It is a recognized mm. Mm. Central, on, the, uh, on this ancient times note, man, that is just rubbish, you know? It's proper rubbish. How can you just go, oh, okay, back in the ancient civilizations, you know, I had this territory. Things have changed, man. I mean, you look at the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was vast. You're going to say that now, today, modern Iran is going to, you know, make claims on all, all these other countries that it used to have? It's stupid, bro. Yeah, it is. It is pretty, pretty nonsense, to be honest, to say that, you know, just because this land belonged to us in the past. Yeah. Once upon a time. That we should take it back today, it, considering that there are already people living in that country right now. Mm. This Tajikistan, it's does it have its own military? It does. It does. It's not as strong as the Chinese military, but it does. Man, I don't think, man, if you go, if CCP wants to cross the border and forcefully take over, that is just war. They have to declare war. But then again, you know, Russia did the same thing in the Ukraine. Yes, that's a good you know, point. That was like, what, 
last year, two years ago? Yeah, roundabouts. Yeah, yeah. People they have come. They just they just took over, sent troops in, and nothing happened. Nobody in the world stood up. Or actually, some people, you know, the politicians stood up and said, "Oh, we condemn this. This is not good." But what what what's the result? Nothing well, happened. Well, they they did institute um, crippling sanctions against against Russia that have really further damaged its economy. Mm-hmm. They they did uh, they have started to economically strangle uh, Russia, but actually fighting a war with Russia over Crimea, mm-hmm. put yourself in the in the Americans' position. Do they give a shit about Crimea, considering they've got their hands full with China? Do they want to have a nuclear war with Russia over mm. Crimea? Mm. I think the Americans, you know, they always work in their own self-interest, like every mm. country, I believe. Every well, country works well, in their own self Well, you know, the, the developed world, they're not going to step in over somebody else's problems. Right, they don't have that kind of oh, I'm gonna lose face kind of problem. But with Russia, if China did this, you know, and the Taji people are allied with Russia, Russia is gonna be like, hey, CCP, you mofos, just slap me in the face. No Russian man's gonna take that man. Putin's not gonna take that, bro. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he. I don't think he can. It would destabilize him because behind uh, Tajikistan is Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, and once you pass Kazakhstan, you've reached Russia. Moscow does not want Tajikistan to fall. It it would scare the pants off Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. They do not want China to become any more powerful than it already is. Mm. So, uh, but. Speaking from conventional means, there's not much that the Russians could do. Their economy is rapidly deteriorating. If they don't join forces with the Americans, they're not going to be able to balance against the Chinese. They uh, they couldn't the, the the Soviet Union, for example, could not have lasted against the Germans had it not been for the United States sending all of this uh, material and logistics support. And the mm. Russians might need to be bolstered in the same way because. The Americans can't afford for the Russians to fall to the Chinese. We, they can't afford that. Russia is too rich in mineral resources. If if China has the population that it has, plus the technology that it has, plus Russian resources and minerals and commodities, that will be a nation that has unimaginable power. The Americans are going to go to great lengths to prevent that from happening. And Russia might even pop nukes over that one. They they can't. The Russians can't fight a conventional war against China. But, you know, they might pop nukes. Putin's mm-hmm. probably the kind of person to do that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. In my but, opinion, uh, my opinion, just get on with the proper war. Get on with it. Get it over and done with. Bomb the CCP. Fuck them right out of this world. And just be done with them. Over the CCP, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's going to be, unfortunately, a uh, 30 to 40 year sprint. You've got... Uh, a lot of communists in Beijing and Shanghai, and they're kind of taking the Chinese people hostage, and they're running the nation like their own personal little family business. You mm-hmm. look at the top echelons of the Chinese Communist Party. It's all Shanghainese and uh, Beijingers, and it, it's a family business. It's like a little bit of a family. It's like emperor politics all over again in China. Just they have their little them. court, yeah, and they little they bicker and they argue together and they try to undermine each other. Who's going to be the emperor and who's going to be the emperor's concubine? Hmm. 
It's just like yeah. the SARS, man. You know, the, the SARS in, in Russia, the people got fed up and just outed them. The same thing is going to happen to the CCP, hopefully. That's my dreams. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, I, I don't think any government can last forever. and I'm not sure that the CCP can last forever. We'll have to see. Um, is, is the CCP going to go full North Korea? It's going to become a surveillance state where they use powerful artificial intelligence to track your words and track you and, you know, imprison people before they cause problems. Can you imagine? You know, mm. they're all ready to start starting to do that. They're, they have sophisticated machines that actually determine when somebody is less patriotic and they preemptively enroll such people into brainwashing programs. Man, just over their system over all the bad news that comes out of that that place that country those politicians but you know we want to be clear we're not talking about the chinese people we're talking about these people in authority these their elected leaders you know this the communist party those are the people that we're talking about and those are the people that need to go They've Absolutely. caused too much harm to the world, man. You know, we're still riding this pandemic. You, these people that are losing their relatives, you know, people dying all because of their virus. You know, there's those kind of greens people that will say that, you know, the virus is, is a coronavirus. You can't call it that. It's originated from, you know, China and all this and all that. And then there's this conspiracy behind it that, you know, we still haven't proved to this day whether the coronavirus wasn't man-made. You know, that was, that is not being proven. There are some sides and some experts out there, some immunologists that look at this virus that have been researching for the last several months now. And they're looking at it and are saying that, there is no way this virus evolved naturally. In order for the coronavirus to grow that kind of protein that's going to infect human beings to this kind of level would take more than 20 years, more than 20 to 30 years, man. Well, so the Australian government wanted to open an investigation. Man, they, you know, these things are not going to go away. It's going to be several years. If we even find the truth in the next two to three years, that's going to be great. You know, that's best case scenario. But the truth is going to come out eventually, whether it's in, I don't know whether it's going to be in our lifetime, man. You know, maybe it'll be the next generation. But the truth is going to come out eventually. And I believe it, had, it was, maybe it was like research and development by them. You know, they wanted to mutate this stuff, not necessarily wanting to release it. But because, you know, every country has an R&D section in immunology, you know. They grow and they mutate um, these viruses and bacterias in order to predict what the next kind of problem would be that will face human civilizations and, you know, come up with a drug. And maybe the CCP were doing the same thing, but then they lost control due to their, you know, shitty protocols. We don't know. But my belief is it was man-made, just like some top immunologists said. Yeah, man. It could not be evolved in the last 20 years. That's the truth. And, you know, this, this thing is, like, dangerous, man. Its backbone is like a SARS and AIDS. SARS and it AIDS. It shares a lot together, of DNA man. with the HIV. Exactly, virus. man. They've just done so much bad, you know, on the virus front. 
And now the CCP are riling up other nations, taking over territories. They're just, man, they need to go. But let's talk about some U.S. elections now. So what does Biden, what's his name, Joe Biden, what does that mean for U.S. foreign policy on China? I heard he's a little bit weak on China. Is that true, bro? Historically, in a nutshell, yes, that's historically. Um, what will he mean for China if he is elected as president? Uh, that's a complicated question. I think if you look at his vice president, Kamala Harris, she doesn't really have a clearly delineated posi position uh, mm -hmm. on China. But Biden historically has been for engagement and uh, for working with China. And he was part of the Obama administration. And the Obama administration was actually quite negligent towards Taiwan. They actually blocked weapons sales to the Taiwanese government. Mm -hmm. So the Congress passed a bill wanting to authorize weapons sales to the Taiwanese. Obama vetoed that bill, which is his right as president. Mm -hmm. However, it's a different world now. We're dealing with a, a, a different world and a different Congress too. So when the Hong Kong protests occurred and when the national security bill was passed, people were unbelievably angry, especially the American people. They were calling for real action to be taken. And uh, Donald Trump, to, uh, to a general point, talks big, but he doesn't really want to put pressure on China because he has a lot of business interests in there. China has paid his daughter, for example, his daughter's corporations and corporate interests a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. Congress said, hey, if we send a, a bill to Donald Trump and it's not veto-proof, it doesn't have a supermajority, then he'll veto it. So if we're going to sanction the Chinese government because of this Hong Kong you know, actions, mm -hmm. we're going to have to send a, a supermajority. And they did. They sent a bill which I think only had like one person against and everybody else was who, who had voted in favor. So Trump had been hinting that he would veto the bill as a favor to the Chinese. And he couldn't. He did not have the power. So, of course, he said he was in favor of it because he didn't want to lose face. Biden will likely face even more pressure. The Congress and the Pentagon are really ramping up pressure. And that's, to an extent, going to shape his policies. I'm sure Biden would like to calm things down. And he probably doesn't appreciate how things are going. But at the end of the day, Congress and the Pentagon are in the driver's seat and both sides of Congress are now going to go to whoever wins the presidency and says, say to them, look, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But this is one thing that both sides of Congress agree on. We want to take action on China. And whether that's Trump or Biden, they're going to be forced. Biden's approach is likely to be different in that he will probably be less belligerent in his words and his actions. So he's not going to be speaking as loudly as China, partly because that's his personality. But uh, partly he, he'll also want to build alliances. So you can see that he's surrounding himself with foreign policy realists who are pretty strongly anti-China. In a lot of ways, more anti-China than Trump's supporters and foreign policies, mm. uh, foreign policy analysts. So Biden is probably going to try and build a coalition and uh, I guess right the ship and try to boost e America's economic growth because America can't maintain this competition with China if its economy isn't growing really quickly. So the Americans are about to enter overdrive. Now, uh, what will this mean? Will what will this mean for Taiwan? People are starting to to change their tune on Taiwan. See, so 
I think it was founded by George W. Bush. He, he maintained the policy of what he called strategic ambiguity on Taiwan. So George W. Bush, the second Bush president, mm-hmm. he wanted to make friends with, uh, with China. And uh, he was using Taiwan as a bargaining chip. And he said, look, let's do business together. You let the American corporations come in, use your country as a factory. In return, we will turn our faces to, to Taiwan and we're not going to talk about it. And we will maintain a strategic ambiguity, which was different to what the American government had done in the past, which was openly and uh, diplomatically assure Taiwan, we're going to war if the Chinese enter any Taiwanese territory. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that to the Chinese. So George Bush maintained a strategic ambiguity. He toned it back. Obama continued that strategic ambiguity going further, actually, but to even block weapon sales to Taiwan. So he was actually starving Taiwan for weapons sales in an effort to try and, uh, I'm not sure, I, I guess, appease China, make them happy, try and get better deals on the economy. Nobody really knows what they were trying to get out of it. I'm guessing they were trying to get something and they were, you know, selling China, uh, selling Taiwan down the river. Mm-hmm. But the Congress and the military uh, ranks are now calling very loudly saying Taiwan is now at a very real danger that the Chinese might try to pull the trigger on an invasion. We have to prevent this from happening because we need to communicate very strongly to the Chinese that we will go to war. If you tell the Chinese we may or we may not go to war, and then the Chinese go to war in Taiwan, and then we as Americans go into Taiwan, it could end up nuclear. So it's better if we have clear communication lines so the Chinese know exactly what they are getting themselves into. There is no point in having this ambiguous communication with countries. Ambiguities cause miscalculations. We've got to tell the Chinese, this Taiwan is geopolitically and geographically and economically important to the United States. Its position is very important geographically. It's important geopolitically for its uh, role in the region. And economically, Taiwan is basically, you might as well rename the island Semiconductor Island. You know, that's what Taiwan is. Mm. Some of the most advanced semiconductors and microchips are made in Taiwan. The United States does not want this nation to fall into the CCP's hands. If the CCP got their hands on the most advanced microchips in the world, what do you think that would mean for the CCP's military? Hmm. The United States would be absolutely insane to let Taiwan fall into China's hands. And if it did, it would probably be the end of uh, America's commitment in, in the region. Um, now, we, we know that the Americans understand this. The Americans are not going to let this fall into China's hands. But will the Chinese try to, to take, take a piece out of Taiwan? I think that strategic ambiguity ambiguity is very dangerous because it could result in nuclear war if the Chinese miscalculate and think that, hey, we'll just walk into Taiwan and America will turn a blind eye the way it turned a blind eye to Russia taking Crimea. Mm. But Taiwan is not Crimea. Taiwan mm. is not Crimea. Taiwan is like Berlin in the, in the Cold War. If the Soviet Union entered Berlin, free West Berlin, if they invaded West Berlin, that would have been nuclear war. Mm. Yeah. I don't uh, look, man. I, personally, I don't think the CCP really have that might anymore. They're hurting, man. You know, the economy is hurting. So, but it is all very important. You know, it, it, the Taiwan, the Taiwan country and people, they're never out of the danger zone of you know CCP wanting that to take over. But I think the Taiwan people are okay at the moment. You know. 
they they prepared themselves very well they were always you know they've been living in fear of the ccp taking over over you know the last few decades now and one of their points of entry that they identified the ccp would invade through would be through the course of hmm what's it called now a biological attack pandemic yeah biological attack and so that's why they have been doing so well during this pandemic because they had systems and procedures already in place and look at them the numbers of infection are under the 400 mark that is incredible you know their deaths are under the 50 mark it's unheard of and they have done this without even a lockdown exactly man and then you got this you got countries in the you know developed world that let's let's say for example our our inbred cousins down south of the planet australia they got one state that's clocking over 300 infections a day 300 to you know almost 600 at one point idiots you know they can't even control that sad situation what's happening in uh the state of victoria yeah Oh man, I think I think it's all because of that incest down there that has caused their brains to decay over generations. But anyway, you know, it's all a perspective of time. In the past, the CCP, you know, over the let's say the last fifteen years, they weren't too bad because they were just focusing on making money and you know capitalism, and so. All the other countries around the world wanted to do business with them, wanted their their money be invested in their own countries. But now things have changed. And because things have changed, you know, you need a harder stance against the CCP. And so I'm glad to hear that this Joe Biden, you know, is going to take a firm approach similar to Trump against the CCP. He has to. He just has no choice. If you look at his speeches, he, he for example, he said he was going to lower the tariffs on China. He said that just a couple of days ago. He was going to roll back the tariffs on China. His campaign, not, not Joe Biden, but Joe Biden's campaign made an official statement that said, in effect, that we are not going to lower the tariffs. In effect, mm-hmm. we are going to continue and escalate those tariffs. Mm. So Joe Biden is not in the driver's seat anymore. I think somebody in his campaign said, Joe, you can't lower the tariffs. Congress is in charge now. Now, you can try to lower the tariffs, but you'll just get beaten by Congress. So it's better if you just pretend like it was your idea and just accept what Congress wants. Well, I hope our sister Kamala, you know, if, um, look, just playing devil's advocate, not want to jinx anything, say Joe Biden doesn't last his term, which, you know, this is a lot of people already raising that in the media. So I'm not saying, saying something evil, but say he doesn't, and Kamala takes over. Let's hope Kamala has a firm stance. I think she'll she'll have to. She doesn't really have much choice. I think the entire mm. national apparatus of the United States is gearing up for a cold war and possible hot war. This is happening at lightning fast speed. The, mm. uh, the Americans were not expecting the Chinese to make such uh, belligerent physical attacks on its neighbors. Mm. Yeah. I was listening to her speech this week, you know, very, you know, very typical kind of presentation that she came out with. You know, her history is a prosecutor, so she made a very good, you know, argument as if we were the jury. But she did slip up. She did compare 
this coronavirus pandemic to the Ebola. You know, you can't compare the two. And so she copped a lot of slack for that, man. Yeah, Kamala has sometimes been uh, inarticulate with her words mm. and with her behavior. Some have suggested that she perhaps may lack empathy in her uh, time as a prosecutor. She did not display much racial solidarity. Uh, that would be a interesting reading of the, of the situation. She was not really uh, solid. Mm. You know, she, she didn't really express a lot of, mm. uh, shall we call it empathy, empathy towards people of color. Mm. So, you know, for me as a third person outside of the U.S., over here in the UK, when I view something like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's speaking very well. Yeah, oh, yeah, she, she can present herself. She sounds smart. But then these kind of, you know, human flaws come through and it's like, mm, don't know too much about her. It, it throws a shadow of a doubt. You know what I mean? She's she's uh, she's had these tough on crime ideas. For example, she some of her policies and prosecutions included an anti truancy program that threatened parents of children who skipped school oh with my. prosecution with prosecution truancy and uh, yeah That's threatening and her handlings of claims from men of color who had been wrongfully uh, convicted of criminal charges. So Kamala is a is a very ambitious person, but deep down. To suggest that she's been a, a racially aware person, that she's had racial solidarity, uh, it would you'd have trouble connecting those dots. I, I, I think. Um, well, that's not having good said for that. Her. She's much younger than Donald Trump and uh, and Joe Biden, so she probably has a you know she's not a, a young person by far. She's in her fifties, but she's much younger than uh, the the current two candidates. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll have to see what her presidency uh, will look like because there is a very real possibility that she will be uh, mm -hmm. president. But um, now that we're gearing up for a Cold War situation, <clears throat> Congress usually reasserts control uh, in times of war. They can't rely on one person. Mm -hmm. uh, so Congress will reassert a lot of control like they did in the Cold War, like they did in World War II and World War One. The president is just going to be more of a figurehead. So they don't get to do things without the permission of the Congress. You know, Congress is the only uh, apparatus of the uh, United States political system that can actually declare war. Now, George Bush was able to declare war and Obama was able to, you know, send in the troops without Congress's permission. But mm -hmm. now in a war with China, in a cold war with China, in terms of a long conflagration, Congress is really going to be running the show. They can't rely on one person or even two people or even three people. This is too much to just rely on one person. So Kamala or whoever wins the, the presidency is going to be beholden to the Congress, as they should be in a, in a lot of instances, as they should be. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see her in action. We'll have to have to see her in action. I mean, there's obviously a lot of big issues with Donald Trump. He's doing a lot of damage to the United States. So, uh, you know, any way is up by the, by the looks of things. But we'll have to see. They may not win it. They may win. We're, we're, it's, it's up in the air. Mm -hmm. mm. I feel like it's a coin toss as well, man. Let's talk about this new vaccine out of Russia. Dr. Wagwan, you heard about this? Yeah, fam. You hear? The almighty Vladimir Putin... This week, he has declared 
to the world that Russia now has a vaccine for COVID-19 and they have called it the Sputnik 5. Yeah, I heard it was developed by the Moscow Gamaleya Institute and it was named after their first satellite launched into orbit in 1957. That's actually what sparked the the Cold War, uh, the launch of Sputnik. And it was followed by a whole series of models. The word Sputnik means a traveling companion in Russian. Yeah, man. An interesting name they have chosen. You know, it brings both a sentimental and creative honoring of their first Sputnik satellite and essentially scientific gift to the world. But an almost sinister connotation in the traveling companion meaning in it. If one was to view this through the lens of, you know, the Soviet stigma, you get me. And we will explain why. Firstly, let's talk about what this vaccine does. It's a viral vector vaccine. It means it employs another virus to carry the DNA encoding, the RNA encoding, the necessary immune response into our cells. That's voodoo traveling companion blood. They claim it'll provide human immunity for up to two years. Mm. And to provide some contrast to this claim, other research from the free world has come back with you know, mostly providing immunity for up to three months, other than the Oxford uh, vaccine, who are declaring up to 12 months. You know, it's a, so the human body really doesn't develop any antibodies that goes beyond a couple of months. Or some of these recovered patients from COVID-19 haven't even got antibodies. You know, so it's, it's quite alarming. So this Putin... He claims he stuck his own daughter with it. He said he inoculated her, like deep into her placenta, bro. Oh, man, shit. Man, man. And then he goes ahead and claims that mass vaccinations are going to kick off as early as October. And they can do this because they are skipping phase three trials. Uh, that's a little bit soon. It's way too soon. And even a normal person that hears something like this is going to be like, what the fuck? You know, everyone's racing against the vaccine. And then this guy comes up and goes, hey, we got it. It's too soon, bruv. And all the other mad scientists and immunologists, all of them smart people are saying it is not safe. And in fact, it is both reckless and dangerous. Hmm. Well, this is wrong. I'll, I'll explain why. So. Once a promising vaccine is developed, there are hurdles it must clear before it can be rolled out. These are preclinical, for example, testing in animals. Does the vaccine produce antibodies? Does it protect against illness? And what dose is necessary? And you have phase one, testing in a small number of humans. This phase is about making sure the vaccine is safe. And you have phase two, more testing in humans in larger groups. Does the vaccine work? and also checking for side effects. Mm. And then phase three testing, testing an even larger group of humans to confirm its efficacy, its effectiveness. Then after that, it's been rolled out. Phase four, you have ongoing surveillance to make sure it's safe and doesn't have any long-term adverse effects. Now, no vaccine is 100% safe. Some people experience side effects, particularly those who are immunocompromised. So completion of rigorous clinical trials is paramount importance Mm. and he's gone ahead he skipped phase three skipped phase four and you know (laughs) what's this guy doing man it's crazy 
But why is he doing this? Because it's like distributing butcher blood. What's a booger? It's heroin farm. You don't tell yeah. people that the heroin fuck? is bad for you, you know? But you know people want it, and that's exactly what Putin's doing. Do you get me? He's just distributing butcher. He wants to be the first out in the world. You know, he wants to make this claim that, hey, look, the world, Russia is doing well. We got the vaccine, you know? And then you got some dumb nations, some allies, like that Filipino president. I don't even know his name. I'm not even going to say his name because I'm not going to give him that level of recognition. That evil man there who's been chopping up people on the streets, he's now claiming that he's going to be the first customer to Russia and he's going to buy in bulk all this buja that Putin is putting out there. He's going to inoculate uh, all his citizens. You, you can't be injecting people with live viruses without knowing what the long-term effects are, mm. especially. That, that's the thing, right? See, the Oxford University's virus is not another virus. It's not another Sputnik or traveling companion. You know, it's, it's working with your body to build up a defense against it. Not this thing. This thing, man, you don't even know what's going into you. Just injecting another person with, with another virus. It's going to create mutated human beings, man. I'm all for trying unconventional means, but they should be tested properly. You can't deploy widespread medicine without long-term testing. The first point of medicine is first do no harm. Don't, don't do anything until you know that your medicine is not harmful. You mm-hmm. got to test. If you, if you don't know, how, if you don't test it, how do you know if it's going to be good or bad? Mm. And who knows really, he's, really if he's stuck it into his daughter? No, but you know, Russia must be hurting. That's why Putin is coming out making you know big claims in the world. Well, not maybe really to his news outlets because he's worried. You know, Putin's got a lot to worry about now. He's got problems in Belarus, his next door neighbor. Belarus mm-hmm. is having massive protests. That's right, and big corruption scandal over there, too. They're asking for, and the leader of Belarus is asking for Russia's help. Come, come and save us from the people. You've got police in Belarus who are joining the protesters. The mm-hmm. police are joining the protesters. Uh, what's next? What happens if the army? What happens if people in the army start to defect to the protesters? That's right. The, and there, and the president of Belarus, Lukashenko, is asking for Putin's help. What's Putin going to do? He's got a lot, a lot of issues. He's got the coronavirus. He's got sanctions from the West. He's got now the Belarus problem, and he's got now China on his doorstep, ready to invade his neighbors or, mm-hmm. or making noises about invading his neighbors. So Putin's got a lot on his plate. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a next, the next 10 years are going to be very stressful for Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. That's why he's coming out with these kind of big claims. You know, he doesn't, he has got nothing good happening. He lost Fedor Emelianko. You know Fedor Emelianko, bro? Not really. I'm not familiar with him. Fedor Emelianko is Russia's top MMA product over the last two decades. This guy was the heavyweight champion for over 10 years. So he's a legend. He's a big, big name over there. And he's very close friends with Vladimir Putin. Usually when things go bad, Putin just comes out and, you know, organizes an MMA event with Fedor and everyone forgets. It's like the Colosseum. You know, with the Roman Empire, throwing the Colosseum amongst some turmoil and the people forget. 
well, Fedor's retired, so he can't use him no more. So then, then now he comes out and he makes this big claim that nobody knows whether it's true or not. But all the other free world scientists, they all look at this and they're like, nah, man, this is not good news. Yeah, it's uh, remarkable what's happening to, to Russia, really. Um, I think that they'll have to have some sort of you know, boost of economic growth so that they can mm. maintain their territorial sovereignty because they're up against the Chinese. But the problem is they are, the Russians are in demographic decline. So they have, mm -hmm. they have the education, they have the technology. The Russians are smart people. They are smart people. And mm -hmm. they have the mineral resources. But what they don't have are the human resources. The Russians are not having babies anymore. And this is spreading all across the world. Uh, every nation, really, most nations have a, a plummeting birth rate, mm -hmm. even the United States. The only way that the United States continues to grow its population is because we import people, uh, but also we have a pretty healthy birth rate in the United States. It's much healthier than Russia or uh, China or, you know, Japan. I, I don't know. Yeah, Japan is a, is a good example. But Japan's birth rate is not actually as bad as, as you would think. No, I think it's just, just a little bit behind from what it historically is, but I would say it's normal. It's, it's not as bad as what people think. Mm -hmm. It's below the replacement rate. Um, but it, it is the thing is because Japan doesn't really have any immigration. So it's, mm. it's shrinking. It's the population is shrinking. But to my knowledge, I think that Japan actually has a, a higher fertility rate than, say, the United Kingdom. Uh, but the United Kingdom has a pretty healthy immigration rate. Mm. So you can have really one of two scenarios if you want to keep your population steady. One. You got to have babies. You got to have a culture that um, really values parenthood, that mm -hmm. supports parents, and that supports families forming. And uh, or you you can uh, import large amounts of immigrants, or both if you if you want. Now, mm -hmm. historically, the American continent, the American nation, was very good at both. Actually, it had a very fertile population. The American people had a lot of babies, much more than their European cousins. And uh, also, they imported a lot of immigrants. That's what made America such a powerful nation and grow so quickly is because they imported a lot of immigrants. And not only did they import immigrants, those immigrants were allowed to succeed into high levels of society. And uh, if you look at the American stock market, you'll see a lot of people of color uh, at the CEO level and at the board level. Now, that's much rarer in, in Europe. Um, it's much rarer in Australia. It's much rarer in, it's certainly non-existent in, in China, uh, certainly non-existent in uh, much of you know, East Asia, uh, much of the Middle East. It's generally unheard of, really one of the only countries where you have a diverse multicultural board level, C-suite, chief executive suite, chief mm -hmm. executive officer suite, is the United States. That's just that's just the thick of things. That um, uh, And that's why it, it forms a, a nation that you can really, it, it's an attractive nation for people to immigrate to. But Russia doesn't have that. Not Even if Russia opened the floodgates, where are they going to get the immigrants from? Mm -hmm. How many immigrants, you know, waking up and saying, I want to go live in Russia? Mm. So Russia's in a little bit of trouble. And, and likewise, China will also be in quite a bit of trouble too, because even if they wanted to bring people in from the outside, who wants to come to China when they see how minorities are treated? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, 
it, it's a different China is in a, a different boat, and so so is Russia. Once you go down the route of ethnic nationalism or racial nationalism, your country becomes repulsive to other people. Mm. So America has a, a more of a civic nationalism, and they've been moving in that direction where it's about being an American. It's not mm. about being a certain color or being a certain you know religion. In fact, the American Constitution guarantees freedom of religion and freedom from religion. If you don't want a religion, you don't have to have one. Mm -hmm. But once you go down to ethnic nationalism, you know we are the pure race, or we are the chosen race, or or we are the pure religion, or we are the chosen religion. That's great. Maybe some people like that, but everybody else who's not part of that club, why would they want to turn up and be you know in that club if they're not part of it? Mm. So uh, it, it, Russia is in a really precarious strategic position they're they've got rich rich natural resources and uh, as global warming kicks off their permafrost is melting they're going to have fantastic land farmland mineral resources and china's right next door and they don't have any of those things but they have a big hungry population a lot of technology and they've got a leader who seems to be pretty aggressive so mm. I'm not sure. What What do you think your opinion is? Uh, what are the Chinese trying to accomplish here? What's their, their grand strategy? Because I, I would have said that, you know, you calm the situation down. China should try to calm everybody down and say, hey, this is just between me and the USA. But well, it seems like China's picking a fight with everybody except the USA. It's because it's not in their nature to be nice. You know, they've done no good. When you look at it historically, what good have they done? Nothing, man. So it's not the, even the best thing they've done is when Deng Xiaoping pulled the Chinese Communist Party out of the Chinese economy and told the Chinese people, hey, "You guys can do business now. We we're not going to mess with your businesses. You can mm. do business." Mm. And that's it. Nothing people else. call that the opening up of China. It's it's remarkable. They, mm. It's like it's like you have the Communist Party. They come to your house. They burn down your house. And then after twenty, thirty years, after you've starved and some of your family members have died, they say, "You know what?" I'm going to let you rebuild your house and I'm going to let you rebuild your business. Mm -hmm. And then people thank the Chinese Communist Party for, for letting, giving permission for the Chinese people to rebuild mm. their nation. Mm. And that's what a lot of people don't know about. I mean, you're making that statement, but we're kind of laughing. But it was true. There's nothing wrong with what you just said. You know, the Cultural Revolution was exactly that. They took things away from people. You know, they force families to live in one bedroom, fucking up to 15, 20 people all in one room with one party to pee and piss in and, and shit in. You know, they did exactly that. And then a decade or so later, or a couple of decades later, they open it up and go, hey, you know, we need to make some money because we need to spend this money on being evil. And that's what they've gone and done. And now they're reacting in this way because they're desperate, man. Their bucks are against the wall. They they got no other avenue. We see it as them picking fights. But over there, it's because everyone is struggling to survive. They're in desperation mode. They're trying to make opportunities. They're trying to create opportunities. And the people there don't know how. Each department doesn't know how. And so they're going to go, okay, maybe we take this or we take that. Because they can't produce anything and they can't generate anything there. That's why they're picking fights. And we're in the, you know, in the Western world looking at them and goes, man, you guys are dumbasses. But if we had friends over in the CCP, they'll probably go, hey, man, I got no other avenue. 
you know what choice do I have? You got no options. I'm all I out got, of options. I'm all out, man. I'm gonna pick fights. You know, it's like a fucking ghetto ball. It's it's like in the block. You know, you got customers. You deal in your buja. People are buying, and then it all goes away. What are you gonna do? You're gonna have to knock on the door of your ally next door and try and take over. So they're just creating opportunities. The world is in a bad place, man. Yeah, uh, I, uh, it's 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 a tricky tricky situation. I'd also like to add that um, apart from the millions of people that the CCP caused the death of in the Cultural Revolution, do you know what the death toll was? I think it was about thirty million. Um, let's uh, let's what check, the real check that was. check that afterwards. Yeah, it, it's horrific. It's more than the Japanese killed. It's actually the worst disaster in Chinese history. Mm. Was caused by the Chinese Communist Party. But on top of that, uh, the Chinese Communist Party likes to go on about China's 5,000 years of history. Um, I would like to ask, uh, what artifacts of Chinese history do you have that weren't dug up underground like the terracotta warriors? So most of the Chinese artifacts are in European museums, American museums, or they're in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because all of the stuff that was left in China was burned Mm -hmm. in the cultural revolution so where is why would you talk about five thousand years of history you don't even have anything left in the country you burned it all yeah man it's a it's it's an incalculable loss uh, uh to human society that those artifacts you know some of some of the the chinese artifacts and the chinese ancient civilizations those artifacts are of incalculable value to human mm -hmm. society this is this is our human lineage this is these are pieces of our history they, they belong not just to the chinese people but to humanity and they fucking burned them mm -hmm. they said it was from the past uh but what i would like to say is do you think that there's a possibility that the leadership of china like xi jinping is is getting bad information um, in the same way that Chairman Mao, when he got bad news, he would have that person killed. And then after a while, everybody only gave Chairman Mao good news. Even though the news wasn't good, they, they'd just lie yeah. because they were too scared to tell him the truth. And so he actually made even worse and worse, more bad mm. decisions. Do you think there's a possibility that Xi Jinping is under the same problem? Because he's famous for hating to receive bad news. I think Xi Jinping's brain is a problem too. You know, that guy, you look at his face. Not big enough. You look at his face, man. His nose. His nose is the biggest thing on his face. His eyes can't even see past that nose. And if you try and look past your nose, if you try and really focus on that, your eyes go cross-eyed. And that's what his eyes are. They're small. They're cross-eyed. And they're hidden behind that big garlic fucking nose of his. And so he doesn't have the capability. Even if people are spitting in his ear, telling him the right things, he's not going to comprehend it. He's winning the pool bear, man. Straight up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it, he's definitely not as uh, academically uh, gifted as Hu Jintao and Wen Jiaobao. They're uh, he's definitely not as gifted as they are. Seems to be mm. a good political operator within China. I, I won't say internationally, but within China, he was able to eliminate his enemies. Um, That's right. You got to give him credit for that. Just like Putin, you know, he, he rose through the ranks Donald. of his own organization, mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem to be growing the strength of his own organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's uh it, it it's a story of human civilization isn't it the person who who's able to rise to the top of the ladder is not always the person who is the best for that organization mm -hmm. what is it they say that uh 
in a pot of soup, the scum rises to the top. That's right. And you got to skim it off and throw it away. Yeah, and if we don't, then that's what we got. Mm-hmm. Hey, you righteous people out there. Keep spilling all that juice and getting all them mollies. Go get all of that. All of that. You get me. And join us next time to digest all the week's events again. Much love to you all. Later, Brother Sanchez. Adios, Dr. Wagman. Adios, my friend. Oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che me sento di morire. E se muoio da partigiano, oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e se muoio da partigiano, tu mi devi Ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, 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 